Welcome to Dear Instructional Designer, Episode 7. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Instructional Designer, the show about the instructional design journey. I'm your host, Kristen Anthony. We're back this week with the second part of our conversation with Brian Washburn. You may know him as at Flipchart Guy on Twitter. Last time we ended our conversation with Brian sharing some advice about how we can use our abilities as instructional designers to ask questions to demonstrate our value as instructional designers. Instead of simply capitulating whenever we get a request from on high, so to speak, we can question respectfully to make sure that we are solving the right problem, the problem that is at the core of the business or organization pain. Today, I follow up, beginning right off the bat with some follow-up questions on how we can employ questioning and this art of questioning, even when we may be dealing with some clients who are resistant. Without further ado, Here's the second part of the interview with Brian. So two follow-up questions for you there. So what, how do you handle it if you're dealing with, say, one of these um, high-powered doctors mm-hmm. um, and they're they're resistant to your asking why? And then the other one is um, how would you recommend people? So in my uh, previous job, for example, I was, I was not privy to the conversations on should this be a course like when it when it got to yeah. my desk it was this is going to be a course let's, okay. let's get her done so how how would you handle both of those things great so yeah two different questions so the first one and i may ask you to remind me of the second question yeah, no after, I, after i do the first one but uh the first so so dealing with somebody who's, who's high powered and and already thinks that they know what 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 the solution needs to be and and honestly sometimes um there will be uh key stakeholders that will come and they've already thought through a lot of these things and so what they're asking to have done is what needs to get done and and that's fine um so uh, i i would still like to ask a few questions just to 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 make sure and make sure that i understand what the problem is um so part sometimes it's it's making sure that we all understand what the problem is and sometimes it's just for me i need okay so if if i can get a good feel for this i need to ask a few more questions okay now i get it yep i i totally understand why that's a problem and and this is some this is what we can do and so it sounds like what you're asking is totally the right thing um, and even for those who come and say, I need a training, we need to get this training, do it. Stop asking questions. Um, I, I, I will um, try to say, okay, so how, what will success look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and what should change as a result? And sometimes um, that's when we can start to get into some, some metrics, you know, this, sh- sh- this should change or whatever and so then you can create something and then you can take a look back um you know after something's been created and and reflect with that key stakeholder whether it's a a surgeon or whoever it might be and say okay did this create the change that we we expected and then if the answer is no then the person might be a little bit more open Mm. to you know what maybe we should Revisit this and, and think this through. Um, one of the things that I find a lot of times is executives, surgeons, medical community, um, they they like data. 
And so if you can present data, um, that you're speaking their language. And sometimes you just have to meet them where they are. And sometimes you have to say, okay. I, and, and in your mind, you may be thinking, I don't know that this is going to work. Um, but at the end of the day, if they're the ones who are asking for something to be done, and if they're the ones who are paying your, your salary, then let's do it. And then let's kind of take a look at the results and figure out, did this solve the right problem? Now, the second question that you asked um, is, well, by the time it comes to people on the instructional design level, a lot of those conversations have already happened or not. Um, but basically, it's like, here, do this. Yeah. And and I think that that is, is very similar where, you know what? Okay, so if this is what I'm being asked to, to do, and it's not my place to ask any more questions, I just have to do this. Um, one of the, the key pieces um, is going to be some type of evaluation uh, plan. And so it's not just kind of um, developing the, whether it's classroom-based or, or e-learning modules, or whatever it might be. It's not just developing that, but how are you going to assess or evaluate the training program also? And so I think that even instructional designers do have um, some some leeway in order to uh, make sure that they're asking the right questions for that um, front level um, learner reaction um, type of feedback in order to start to get to did this solve the problem um, that that the key stakeholder wanted. So um, there are going to be times when we just kind of have to do what we're asked to do. Um, and the, 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 the corollary to that that I would say is if we can provide additional value to the organization by doing a good evaluation at the end, then even if we were asked to do something that we knew in our heart of hearts was not the right thing, we can at least have data that if somebody's interested in um, can take a look and, and say, you know what, this wasn't the right solution, or if we make these changes, maybe it would be the right solution, or this really shouldn't even be something that people are, are spending their classroom time or e-learning time on. Um, so having data and evaluation and assessment is at least as important as good um, sound instructional design. That is awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. I mean, I can't tell you that that first, my first instructional design project, I knew, I knew that what we were doing could not be the most effective thing, but it was, it was one of those projects where you just sort of do what you're told. And then I, I, you know, I didn't have the language. I didn't know about instructional design as a, as a field and um, just sort of looking things up. It, you don't get that sense of, yeah, sometimes you do what you're told and, um, maybe you can um, ask people to reevaluate at the end based on what their goals are. So I think that's so helpful for a lot of us newbies to say sometimes you you just do it, but there, here are some questions and, and some things that you can ask to um, maybe nudge people to reevaluate. Yeah, you know, I mean, and there's tons. I mean, if you, if you look at blog posts or Twitter chats or things like that, there's tons of... Um, people who are in the bubble of instructional design saying, no, we shouldn't do something if we know it's not going to solve the problem. Right, yeah. But the fact is, that's a lot easier said in Twitter than it is when you rely on that paycheck and those health benefits mm -hmm. that come with that cool instructional design job. And so being able to meet people where they are, and if you're able to find some some internal operational champions um, of kind of your philosophy, 
then I think that is a much better way to start to spread your influence around an organization than to, to say, to try to be a know-it-all and say, no, you know what, I know that I know what you're asking and I get it, but that's not going to solve your problem. Right. Um, so that, that doesn't always get you very far. Yeah. Um, but being able to, to exercise your influence with people who are willing to listen and find some champions um, who can then spread the, the message that you know what you're talking about, I think is, is a very effective way for instructional designers, um, especially frontline individual contributor instructional designers, to start to spread their influence. Yeah, and I yeah I love that you use that word. I um one of the things that I took away from my time I got to go to the Bush School um, and their nonprofit program that they do. And one of the things that I took away uh, I still I still love this phrase was um, really focusing on your circle of influence, however small it mm-hmm. is, and not not worrying about you know everything sucks and I can't do anything about it, but focus just on your circle of influence. And so along with that, like, how do you, what do you find helps you to build relationships and trust um, when you're working in a new org, which I know um, you've been with this place um, quite some time, but, or working with a new uh, subject matter experts, what helps you build those relationships? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things, <coughs> excuse me. Um, one of the, one of the things that, um, that I try to do any place where, where I'm new is um, the first time that I'm asked to, to put something together to make it as amazing as I possibly can and to, to, to show people what's possible. Um, because sometimes you, as instructional designers, we can talk about concepts and theory and um, we can kind of try to paint a picture. But until people actually experienced what's possible, all that stuff that comes out of our mouth doesn't always make that much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding ways, big or small, to show people what's possible is key. And then, then the other is, is um, to again, to meet people where they are. So when I first came on at SiteLife, I was actually able to work alongside of several people um, to do a, ser- a webinar series that I had instigated so I could kind of pick and choose people. And then when I found a few people who really appreciated the way that we worked together. Um, and and uh, one person in particular was super appreciative of, of the way that um, we were able to improve her lesson plan and her delivery. And from that, she became one of my first champions throughout the organization. And she would always tell other people who were going to a conference or whatever, oh, you should talk to Brian. Um, he could help you put something together that... Um, that will that people are actually going to be really interested in or can really engage people they're not going to be checking their phones when you're talking things like that so um so finding ways to to get those early champions was was really important and then the other um again meeting people where they are one of uh, the, and I've, I've blogged about this specific example before but we have a, a vp um here who uh, i was helping to prepare for a series of training sessions that he had to deliver in India. And at one point, as, as I was trying to just get to ask some more questions from what, what exactly he wanted to communicate to his audience, at one point, he just kind of threw his hands up in the air, exasperated, and, and looked at me and said, I don't know what you want. Quality is boring. They just need to know this information. And I kind of smiled at him, and he, he said, what are you smiling at? And I said, if you think that quality is boring, what do you think your audience is going to think? Mm-hmm. 
And so what happens if we, if we try to do a couple of different things? So, you know, we can't necessarily do a lab audit because we're going to be in a hotel room, mm -hmm. but what would happen if we use flip chart and used photos and things like that and had people walk around the, the hotel room and, uh, and do a mock audit based on their observations of these photos or information that we would give or uh, things like that. And, and that started to open up the world of possibilities that he prior to that hadn't thought of. And, um, and so, and that was a process that probably took three or four months in order to put that together. Mm -hmm. But he went from absolute skeptic. I just need to tell people what they need to know because this is boring stuff. They just need to do it in order to get accredited to, wow, we can, we can actually see if people can uh, identify the right stuff or the wrong stuff or things like that. And, um, and so he went from uh, one of the chief, um, I wouldn't say necessarily detractor, but skeptics of this whole idea of adult learning to one of the biggest champions. And, and now he's gone to not only be a champion within the organization, but um, throughout the iBanking community across the country um, saying, hey, if we're going to put together this program, then we're not going to just show a bunch of PowerPoints. We're actually going to do some of this stuff. So, um, so again, just kind of creating those champions and meeting people where they are, not condescending to them, yeah. um, but, uh, but trying to show them the possibilities is, is key. That's awesome. That's a really cool story. Um, so just uh, more generally, how would you say that you tackle trying to implement a new idea in the organization? What are your steps? Yeah, so um, I think that one of the keys to implementing new ideas, and this goes back to this idea of champions, mm -hmm. it goes back to the idea of relationship building, um, is b making sure that I'm not the only one who, uh, if, if there's a good idea and it seems like it fits a need, I'm not the only one who's talking about this idea. Mm -hmm. And one of the keys to building those relationships that, that I found incredibly helpful and this is coming from somebody, you know, I, I consider myself extremely introverted. Um, I'm not super social. I'm not the person that goes out to happy hours. I'm not the person that um, does a lot uh, with, you know, going out on the weekends and things like that. One of the keys, I think, to my success over the past five years in my current role has been that I do not eat lunch at my desk every day. I will go to the lunchroom and eat lunch there. And that's how I've been able to build relationships with people from IT or different operational areas, even our CEO who also eats in the lunchroom. And so I'm able to just kind of chit chat with people. And so when I actually need to engage them through a new initiative or actually need to ask a favor of, of them or their team, it's not the first time they're hearing from me. We have a relationship that's built. And so... Um, I know that a lot of people say, well, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm just, I just need to eat my lunch and then get back to work. First of all, your keyboards are gross and they're full of germs. Um, <laughs> but, but second of all, um, we can't be too busy to, to create the relationships that we're going to need later on. And, and so um, by, by making sure that I, I have coffee with people or um, I'll bring people chocolate chip cookies from this amazing bakery from around the corner um, or, you know, having lunch in the lunchroom has been an essential way for me to build up 
personal relationships so that I can get people um, to buy into some of the profet or, or even be willing to give me the benefit of the doubt for some of the crazy ideas that I've had um, professionally. So um, relationship building is super key to, to building that influence and, and getting new ideas out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I am one of the ones who's guilty of eating at my desk. Um, although I have to say, in our office, there's a lot of coming and going in individual offices. So um, I do know quite a lot of people here. But yeah, that's that's really good advice. And um, yeah, I think it's important that you brought up even even as an introvert, which I'm like so far on the introverted scale, it's not even funny. Um, all you can build relationships without having to be super, you know, or think of yourself as, as super, um, you know, super outgoing or super social just by, you know, sitting down with people and breaking bread with them. That's, that's, it's a really social thing without you having to, you know, try and try and go up and break the ice or, or, or do anything really that special. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, for, for other people, like you mentioned, it, it may not be your organization's culture that everyone kind of goes to the lunchroom or whatever. So um, that that never eat lunch at your desk can certainly be a metaphor. If, if it's not necessarily lunch um, in the lunchroom with others, then what is that equivalent that, that can help you just in, in the daily interaction with people who, who you see in the halls every day? Mm -hmm. How do you get to, to know them? So to um gonna switch gears here a little bit. So what what do you look for? And I know you touched on a few skills that you think IDs need. But what would you look for in an ID colleague or an employee? Yeah, and right now I'm I'm interviewing for a position that's in India. And so one of the things that I look for beyond, you know, obviously I, I want to see some experience in in the world of of ID. So that's the resume is great. But it's the work samples that I really need to see oh, in order to, to to even make sure that to, to even you know block off time on my calendar to actually interview the person. So uh, last week I was actually pouring over. Um, you know, we had 300 applicants for the job, and I had 17 people that the recruiting firm gave me on a short list, and there were some really really strong candidates on paper. And then I started to take a look at the work samples. And one of the first people that I wanted to talk to, I printed out the work sample, which was a 120-page slide deck of the seven habits of highly effective people. And it was a bunch of bullet points of the whole book. I'm like, I, I can read the book. I, I don't need this. Is No, you're, I'm not going to interview this person. And then there was another person who I was like, yeah, maybe. Oh, I don't know, just pull the work sample. And I was looking at his um, slide deck that he had sent me. And uh, the, just the, the level of creativity that I was able to see through his work was fantastic. And so I ended up scheduling an interview with that person. So I think that beyond um, what you can actually have on paper is being able to demonstrate what you are actually able, what you're actually capable of. Um, so making sure, you know, you have a portfolio and trying to keep things like that um, relatively current uh, is, is I think, pretty key in terms of um, somebody who I'd like to work uh, for me or, or with me. In terms of colleagues, what I'm, all, what I'm, I'm constantly on the lookout um, for, for people who I want to partner with who are relatively in the default mode of being able to say yes and as opposed to yeah but or no. Mm -hmm. um, because those, it's, it's a small thing, but it's a very conscious thing. 
And when you say, yeah, but, or mm, no, everything stops. Yeah. That whole train of thought, that conversation stops. Um, yes, and you, you may not necessarily agree with everything that I've said, but you're at least honoring the fact that I had an idea and there's something there that we could build upon. So that's one of the essential things. I think that in the instructional design world, collaboration is, is essential. And, and that ability to, to say yes and is, is key for me to, to be able to work with others. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you know this, Brian, but portfolio building is my gospel. That's, <laughs> that's what launch week was all about was you need a portfolio. Um, but so some so many people, so many people, I think, have this idea of I don't have time, I'm doing other things, or um, or maybe more charitably, they're just sort of stuck at, um, you know, I don't know what to build. Do, do you have any advice? Yeah, and, and that's a great question because also some of the, the – uh, applicants that we had for this position that I just spoke about said, I can't submit work samples because it's everything I've worked on is proprietary. Yeah. And, and my response to that is, okay, well, I'm moving on to the next applicant then because if you can't even take out the time to, to create something, um, however small, that actually shows me what you're capable of, I am not going to trust what, you know, just kind of some, some words on a resume. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to um, building things, even if you work for an organization where what you're working on is proprietary, um, or you know you may not be able to work on the coolest or most creative projects. So how do you build that portfolio? I think there's a number of different ways. One is to you know get involved outside of work in in other things that that may um, be able to showcase your talents, like a local ATD chapter meeting, um, or you know putting together something a proposal to present at a conference. Um, so doing things outside of work. Or, you know, whether it's, if it's going to be something about e-learning, right? So if, if, if e-learning is your thing and depending on what tool you use, Articulate is a phenomenal community to get involved in. Yeah. And then they have the, the weekly e-learning heroes challenges that just ask you to, to create something. You don't even have to build out a complete module. You're just asked to, to showcase a specific skill. So I think that there are a number of different opportunities whether there are opportunities to present outside of your organization um, or opportunities just to kind of showcase um, a specific skill or ability that you have to build something via e-learning. Um, I think that all of those are ways to start to create a, a, a library of demos that you can then show off to potential employers. Um, if you're a freelancer or if you're looking for an internal ID job, um, any of that stuff will, will go a long way to, to opening doors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Um, so is, is, and this, this might be, um, um, embedded in your answer to the other question, but what is, um, one, one skill that any newbie listening to this show, one skill that you would say, if you only had time to do this one thing, one skill that they should all develop? I think that the the skill that I would suggest that if nothing else, assuming that you have some type of foundation in instructional design, if nothing else, it is that asking questions skill. Being curious, 
asking questions and making sure that you're able to get to the why um, or what's going to be different as a result of this or how is this going to help you. Making that the default mode, I think, is going to be key. Um, and it may not even be something that people are able to exercise, especially uh, at the newer individual contributor level. Um, but it is that is the one major leadership skill that I think that people start to look at when they think, wow, can this person take on more? Can they be the lead on the project or something like that? Making sure that you work on those consulting and questioning skills um, is, is, is going to be essential, I think, to, to somebody's career growth in this field. Awesome. Yeah, really good advice. Okay, so Brian, it is now time for the rapid fire portion of our show. Are you ready? All right, bring it on. Okay, so instructional designer or learning experience designer? Instructional designer. Why? <laughs> it's not rapid. <laughs> You're right, but I had to dig into that. <laughs> I, I think that we a lot of times we get into, you know, what's the right word here? Instructional designer is a term that's been around for a long time, um, and it's not something that everybody's familiar with, but it, it makes a lot more sense to me, I think, than learning experience designer. Although we are designing learning experiences, um, designing that um, instruction is, I guess, kind of at, at the essence of, of what we're doing. So how, how the learner experiences comes, comes from how the instruction is designed. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you. Um, one piece of advice you wish someone had given you as a beginner? Uh, measurement. Measurement, measurement, measurement beyond um, level one smile sheets uh, is, is going to be key. So what can people do as a result of this as opposed to how do people like this? Awesome. What books, blogs, or research are you reading lately? The most recent going to measurement is Performance-Focused Smile Sheets by Will Talheimer. Um, in terms of research, uh, the eLearning Guild does a ton of research um, that I've been, I, I continue to dig in on with the Learning Solutions Magazine and the, the brain-based stuff, especially columns by Art Cohn. Okay. Um, one thing that should be in every instructional designer's portfolio. Uh, one thing, so one thing that should be in every instructional designer's portfolio is something that is not PowerPoint based. Okay. One piece of interview wisdom. Uh, make sure that you have questions for your, um, interviewer as much as they have questions for you. Favorite project you're working on right now favorite project I'm working on right now is putting together the uh, organization's executive team retreat. Um, and the reason why is because I've been given kind of carte blanche to do anything that I want um, as, as long as we accomplish the goals. And that is a pretty cool opportunity. All right. Last one. Where can people catch up with you? People can catch up with me on my Train Like a Champion blog. They can catch up with me on Twitter. I'm at FlipChartGuy. Um, or just by email. And my email address is in that blog or um, direct message me via Twitter. All right. Thank you so much, Brian. They, thank you so much for, for asking me. I, I think this was a lot of fun and, uh, and good luck with, with this whole podcast series. 
Thank you, man. Yeah, I, I think people are going to get a lot of value out of this. I am looking forward to releasing this one. Man, I had a great time talking with Brian. I hope you had a great time listening. I mentioned it last week, but please, if you've got a moment, definitely check out Brian's blog, trainlikeachampion.wordpress.com, and contact him on Twitter, at FlipchartGuy, and show him some love for sharing his experience with us. Also, feel free to start up a conversation with us. If you've got any follow-up questions, you can tweet me, at AnthChris, and Brian, at FlipchartGuy, and we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. Help me know what you're getting from the podcast and what I could do better. I'll talk with you soon. Take care.